Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Future Food Weekly Live with me, Sonali Figueres, and my co-host, Steve Molino. Hi, Steve. Hey, Sonali, how are you doing? Well, you know, um, this is a big week. So um, for all you listeners out there, this is going to be Steve and I's last episode for a few weeks. We're going on hiatus because obviously, um, I, well, not obviously, as you may have figured out, in some of our conversations, I am going to be birthing a second human um, very, very, very soon. <laughs> Potentially a next baby, week. A baby Sonali. A little baby green queen. Yeah, it's a girl this time. So yeah. Um, and we we just felt like the, the best thing to do was to take a break. Um, because, you know, I we know you love our banter and our chemistry. So we're going to come back when in a in a few weeks I won't be gone too long this isn't a, a Swedish situation where I'm taking a year off unfortunately um, I'm just too addicted to my work and uh, you know food innovation news so you will hear from me and Steve in a few short weeks but for March and April we will be off and so today's episode, we're going to we're going to do a, a hit list of, you know, the top stories in the newsletter that we want to talk to you about. But we're also going to share a few thoughts on the year so far and, you know, a couple of just light predictions for what we think is going to happen in the next few weeks in the food innovation space. Um, so here we go. Steve, tell me, what are your thoughts on the big story this week, which really quickly is that Israeli cultivated beef company Aleph Farms, who just received uh, historic regulatory approval from the Israeli government recently, a few, a couple weeks ago, has announced that they are partnering with a Thai production facility, the first production facility for cultured meat in Thailand, um, and that they will basically be pursuing manufacturing using that facility in Southeast Asia. Now, obviously there are no timelines and this is all, you know, it's, it's a forward looking partnership, but it is fairly interesting because it is Southeast Asia. It's the first we've heard of a production facility in Thailand and Aleph Farms has made no, um, no secret. It, it's, you can go back and listen to my, my uh, conversation with DDA and my cultured meat, cultivated meat podcast um, the special mini series on the pioneers where he is very clear that for him and for the company, they are very much pursuing a strategy of serving developing regions in the world and also regions where there are huge populations with growing demand for meat and, um, you know, issues around land availability and water availability and just a need to kind of secure protein production. So what do you think, Steve? I mean, it's a really interesting one. I think that uh, like my initial takeaway is that this is a really good thing to see uh, in the sense that Aleph Farms, one of the, the most well-funded cultivated meat companies is blatantly saying, we're trying to find an asset light approach to scaling up. So instead of owning our own facilities and, and scaling them up ourselves and becoming an, a, a a manufacturer of, of the products ourselves, we, we are going to try to find partners to do it. And right now we've talked about it a million times on this, this show, but in whether it's precision fermentation or cultivated meat, anything basically that's 
sin bio in food, the scale upside has so much infrastructure <laughs> associated with it. And it's, it's going to just be really expensive. A lot of CapEx and VC money doesn't like to fund CapEx. So they're, how do we find that money? How do we fund these operations? So Ala Farm showing that they can be resourceful and, and find partners and collaborators in the space and in a new region, basically, for cultivated. Um, it's, it's, it's exciting. And I think it's a really smart move. My, my head then does always go to the numbers. I'm so curious to know how this, this partnership was, was set up. Is it some type of joint venture? Is there some licensing agreement where maybe there's the, 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 the partners get some type of royalty fee for the, every kilogram that's produced or sold? I have no idea. I'm just so curious on that. Um, but from a, from a timing in the cultivated meat story perspective, I think it's, it's, it's better to see these types of things where companies are trying to do asset light approaches uh, to, to scaling up. So I, I like it. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of things on that. There, there were very few details in the, in the, in the piece. What's really important to remember is that in, for Asia, there's going to be a huge focus on food security and no doubt of manufacturing facilities like these are going to be getting some kind of government support. That would be my guess. I mean, nothing was specifically announced, but if you can see how Singapore has positioned things and, and how it's looking like China is you know, slowly looking at cultivated meat as one potential technology to, to back for food security, I would say all governments in Asia are probably thinking similarly um, and planning for for these type of innovate, you know, these type of like support mechanisms for for future for, for, for protein innovation. So I think in Asia there really is this difference where there is this kind of government's support in the background through all kinds of various, whether it's like incentives or tax breaks or what have you, or just attractive terms for companies to come and set up. Um, but I, I really I, I have to reiterate, you know, I think. Asia is going to play a role in the development of cultivated meat. And for a lot of our listeners skew us for this podcast. And I have to say, it's really dangerous to rely on the um, U S media narrative around cultivated meat, uh, which is at the moment, just like relentlessly negative and, 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 and polarizing. Um, it's, it's very skewed and it's very, very myopic. And it's really missing the bigger picture of what's going on across the world. And, and it's really important to remember that Asian countries do not have, you know, fields and fields of like cows that they can rely on in the same way. So it's just a very different fundamentals. And as Steve and I have talked about many times, the environment that you're in, you know, sets up your business strategy and thinking. And so it's really important not to conclude everything about cultivated meat from two big American companies. Yeah. And I, and I think that like, that's such an important thing to say, because even like before we started recording this episode, you and I were talking and I did kind of have a gut reaction around this, this Olive Farms news of saying, well, why, like, why, why not use the facility that you have in Israel uh, before you start expanding? And this, this reminds me of some other things we're seeing with other companies, mainly in, in the U S but like, it's like, to your point, there's different opportunities and there's different dynamics based on geography. And right now, Aleph, who has always been focused on on being a major player in, in the APAC region, 
they they see an opportunity to just scale up with an asset light approach and um they shouldn't be compared to just the two other u.s players that keep getting brought up in the news so um i like i i I appreciate you giving that reminder because it's, it's it's a really important thing to remember. I appreciate you honestly sharing that you had the gut reaction. I love that. All right, next up, what caught your caught your interest? And I it must be yeah. said, it is a busy newsletter. It was not easy to choose stories. It it wasn't at all. Like there's there's a lot of really interesting stuff in here. So like I'm just bringing this up because I just find it so interesting. So basically, Turtle Trees, which is the, the, the Singapore-based precision fermentation dairy company, they, they earned a vegan certification for their, their animal-free lactoferrin. So they call it LF+, uh, and they were certified vegan uh, by, by Vegan Action, which is, I guess, the, the entity or the certification company that they, they were talking to. And, like... Uh, so, so I'll say exactly what I, what I, what I'm thinking on this, which is like, okay, is it vegan within the vegan community? There's, there's already disagreement on anything that's precision fermentation or cultivated being vegan or not. Right. Where it's, it's technically an animal product, right? Like it's molecularly identical to what's coming from an animal, but it didn't harm an animal. So if you're vegan for health reasons, then maybe this shouldn't be vegan. If you're vegan for ethical reasons, maybe it should be because it's not harming an animal. So there's already already like confusion there. And then on like on the health side of things, it's should this be labeled as vegan? Because if you're looking at something from like an allergen standpoint or a nutrition standpoint and you're you're shopping and you got used to shopping for vegan products knowing that is avoiding certain certain ingredients, then calling it vegan, but then having actual dairy in it, that's, that's misleading. So is that good? Is that safe? Depending on what the ingredient is and how people could uh, possibly re react to it. It's, it's a really interesting question. And what I, what I'll end on is the reason that this caught my eye so much is because uh, arena Jerry of, uh, of change foods, she's the, the CMO of change Foods. She put out a post on this. She's, she's quoted in this, this article that you, you wrote on, on the topic and it was, I agree with her main takeaways actually, but it was the comment section where I was like, wow, there is such a lack of consensus on this topic. Like I didn't know what to expect, but all I know is people are not in agreement with each other on this and they have very, very strong feelings about it. So what do you think? Like, do you think it should be labeled as vegan? Do you think it's a good thing, a bad thing? Like, what are your thoughts? Okay, so two things. Before I get into answering the meat of this, the proverbial meat of the question, I would like to point out that one, this is a topic that Green Queen covered almost four years ago with Irina actually. And we wrote a whole article about whether animal-free dairy was vegan, okay? So where we explored all these topics and it came from the fact that a small ice cream maker in Hong Kong released an ice cream made with perfect days, precision fermentation whey, way back when in 2020, and they put vegan on the label and the Hong Kong vegan community went berserk for specifically the reasons of, if you are a health motivated vegan, you are assuming that vegan means that there is no dairy protein in your food. And I would have tended to agree with that and, and actually was part of connecting the ice cream maker 
and the the VC involved with a broader discussion and then the the label was changed. So this is something that's been on my radar and Greenpeace radar for a long time. I am also disappointed that I would say 90%, if not almost all other coverage of the Turtle Tree News did not bring up this very important issue. I believe Green Queen was the only one who properly reported that there is a dairy allergen issue here. And for people who, just to understand, like animal-free dairy is easily lactose-free, lactose-free being an intolerance, but you can be allergic to dairy proteins like whey or casein, for example, and it can be fatal. So to go into the second part of answering your question, what do I think personally? I must say that I think this is a, it's a big risk. I think there is an opening yourself up to litigation potential here. Because unfortunately, despite what we would all like to believe, the, the, the definition of vegan is not universal. And the motivation for, for following a vegan diet is not is not is not just one one dimensional so as you said if you're ethical if you're an ethical vegan this could potentially be for you a vegan product because no animals have been harmed so if your belief is that being vegan means trying to reduce as much possible harm to animals then i think this falls under that definition but if you are a health motivated vegan for you, vegan likely means dairy-free, and that would not qualify here, dairy protein-free. So yeah, I mean, I'm so glad you brought it up. This is this was a big, in uh, the team, we, 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 we had a big debate about it um, internally. I, I saw the action online. Um, our article was used in many, many LinkedIn posts because again, this is a, unfortunately this was missed in all the other reporting around the vegan certification. This is yeah, a very and, important and issue. I, I agree. I agree. And I think like, even to your point though, like it, it's still not even black and white of like, if you're an ethical vegan, then this is good. And if it's a, if you're a health focused no, vegan, then it, it could be bad. Even within that community though, like I was saying like ethical vegans, the ones who are doing it for animal welfare, they're the, the ones going back and forth on LinkedIn on, on arenas posts. And it's like, some are like, no, I still don't want to have this. It's still technically linked to an animal in some way, shape or form. So it's like, there's no consensus. And like, I fully agree with you from a risk standpoint. This is just so risky because if, if there's one health issue or safety issue, because someone has an, like, has an allergy to a dairy protein, then, then the company is, is in big trouble. And also there's just the idea of like, if you're going to alienate a market, like, pick the vegan community, right? It's like 1% of the global population or less. And again, I'm, I'm vegan, right? So I'm saying alienate me, right? Like whatever. But like, do you want to alienate 1%, potentially alienate 1% or 99% of the population? So, I mean, like, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I, I can appreciate what Turtle Tree is doing from like a, a more, like a, like, standing loud and proud for what they believe in that's always a good thing but i don't think it needs to be something that is actually becomes a certification and is printed on your labels that's just that's a business decision 
Right. And where this will play out, two, two, two lessons to add. One, this will play out on labeling. So this will come down to like labeling laws and policy and like where the product is sold and how the ingredient is used. And two, this will likely be an interesting uh, question for if my, a lot of these precision fermentation companies, right? They are planning on being ingredient suppliers. So they are not the maker of the end product, right? So this is a question for the brands owned by the big food companies that are going to be buying this ingredient and how they choose to interpret it. So it could be that Turtle Tree says, we're just showing that we, we just want to be certified vegan, but you know our clients may not choose to use that on their label for reg for policy reasons, for safety reasons, for for whatever reasons, for not opening yourself up to a potential lawsuit reasons. Yeah, no, that's super interesting, the B2B idea. And yeah, my advice, if you're buying from Turtle Tree, leave off leave off a vegan certification. Yeah, it, I, just, it, doesn't, I, it doesn't add value. I think we agree here. Uh, I'm, and I'm glad you brought <laughs> the story up. All right, what's next? Um, yeah, for you, what, what did you find interesting? Which I know we talked about, there's a lot of stuff, but like, what's one thing that you have to pick? <laughs> oh, man. Um, Um, I have to say, I thought the, uh, we, we did a fair amount of, of reporting and reviewing on the Oatly earnings, um, which were kind of interesting because the losses did grow, but it came from this. Okay. So the, 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 the term of the week for this week, for this newsletter was asset light approach. It came up in like four different stories. I don't know if it's just like VC bait because VCs love to hear the term asset light, but it just feels like suddenly so many companies are pursuing an asset light approach. Um, and basically the, the Oatly has like halted production on three different production facilities, which like caused all sorts of issues in like their earnings, but actually in terms of revenues, they grew. And so it seems like a lot of the work that they are, they've been putting in for a while is working and things are looking brighter. So in a couple more quarters, they should be, they should be able to, to get to some, some strong profitability. So I just thought that was interesting. Um, there's, yeah, a lot I, of... I think it's definitely interesting. And like the asset light thing, it's kind of funny. Like I, I see pitch decks like all week, every week. And like, that is, I, I, that, I, not everyone's using asset light, but they'll say like, no capex or or yeah. non-dilutive non funding for capex or some whatever it is so we, we should um, start a list of like all the terms <laughs> yeah i love it we should um and and but like i know the i i do think like you called out the important points but for me it was just okay they are growing top line it's that that is exactly. very very important because you look at the the few other public names out there and and sometimes you no, see yeah. that losses are growing but also that that revenues are dropping and that's a scary situation but for oatly i do think that it does seem like they're they're shifting away from doing all of their manufacturing themselves which will be uh asset light as we talk, talked about but then also their top line is growing so they're still showing consumer demand um i think it sounds sounds like they have a, a, a promising future if they keep pushing in this direction awesome all right, what's the positive story of the week before we go into a like a mini product pr predictions kind of 
chat. Yeah, I mean, I'll keep this one quick, but I I liked the the highlight of the the investment from Cargill in uh, the the biomass fermentation company enough. Um, so, I the, the the reason why is because like I was actually talking about this with a, a group of people last week where they were asking about what is the reason for a CVC, a corporate venture capital firm, to invest in a startup. And like the answers vary, but what I can tell you is from the the Cargills of the world, the ADMs of the world, every conversation I've ever had with those types of CVCs, so the ones from the really large strategics, they almost never care about the financial return. They take it into account, right? It's important that it's that it can have the ability to be a good financial investment, but for the most part, it's really if they invest in something, it's a massive vote of confidence from their point of view that this company has the potential to be strategic to us in the future. And maybe it's they acquire the company long term, maybe it's just a strategic partner in some other way, but they see it as something that is, has potential, like real business growth potential. So seeing that Cargill invested in enough Series C funding round um, and, and said that they'll, they'll co-create products with, with uh, enough mycoprotein. That to me is, is just showing that um, enough and the biomass fermentation space has continued um, viability. And, and so I don't know what the terms were. I don't know if it was a lot of money, a little money, but again, I don't really care about the money because Cargill doesn't care about the money. It doesn't, they, can, they can make a hundred million dollars off of this and it won't even be a, a rounding error. So I, I just, I liked seeing that. I thought it was a positive, positive thing to call out. Yeah. That's interesting. Very interesting insight on CVCs. I, I had not thought a lot about whether CVCs consider profitability and, and that's really interesting. Um, and I'm sure I, some do, right? Like, I don't know sure, every sure. CVC out there, but like, I, I know a bunch and I talk to some pretty frequently and it's all about the strategic value add, and then and then they the numbers just have to make a little bit of sense. But it's really about the stra the strategic part of it. Super interesting. Um, one thing I will say that I I met the enough team at the Hack Summit last May in Switzerland, and their product was impressive. Um, really really impressive. The the texture, the taste. They were one of the few that I didn't feel had a bitter aftertaste which um, unfortunately for my palate and quite a few of the other mycelium-based uh, biomass companies do. Um, and they just seem to, they, they seemed like a very food service, food industry focused company rather than like building a CPG like a lot of the others in the space are doing. They, they seem no, like laser focused, yeah, on being just like, a B2B supplier and just, I, I will just always feel like at, at this point that that's where a lot of the impact can come from. And that's no, when you really agree. engage with the big food companies. So great. That was a- No, I fully nice... agree. And, I, and I've only had um, enough product once, but it was in something that was pre-made. It was a, a vegan chicken Caesar oh, yeah. salad and it was their chicken, um, or their, their, their chicken product that they were having. And it, it was good. I, I, to your point, didn't have any like, like bad aftertaste or anything like that. And I thought it was just really solid. And then like the nutritional profile of biomass is just like incredible. So 
Uh, but that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So as we get ready for a, a, a hiatus of about eight weeks, so about two months, um, and it's sort of like two months have passed since the beginning of the year. Um, I really want to get a sense from you of like, how do you feel like the year has gone so far for this space? Um, is it what you expected? I mean, we did some predictions at the end of last year. And and what do you see ahead for the next few weeks? It'll be fun to like come back to it after and and, and kind of see where, keep ourselves honest, as you said, as you always say. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a fool's errand to do a few week predictions. Uh, so I'm like terrified to say something and be like completely wrong, but um, yeah, general general trends and movement nothing too specific yeah I mean I think like generally I I expect what we've seen over the past two months the first two months of the year to continue which is really like I've been surprised on the upside of the activity in the market from either funding rounds or partnerships being announced like it feels like every week there's there's legitimate news that's not just whatever company launched a new product in in retail which i feel like for a little while it really just felt like there was a lot of companies that were taking a b2c approach and they launch another SKU in retail and um and it'll be in this number of locations and it's like okay that's fine like but after a while is, is that really moving the needle and we've seen big funding rounds both in plant-based and biomass fermentation we're seeing cultivated having funding rounds, but also having like, like this Aleph news this week, like big, big partnerships where they're expanding in, in, in different ways. So it seems like things are on the upswing. And at least from what I can tell you on, on my end, on the investment side, like deal flow has been very strong. So meaning like companies coming to me, but strong as in like, not just a lot of companies, but like companies that are doing really interesting things that are meaningful to pushing the space forward. And they're coming in at reasonable valuations with reasonable raise amounts that they're trying to raise. So I think investments will keep continuing to trend upward. Um, and then the last thing I would say on this is like, are we, you and I are actually talking on this of like, will investments continue to trend upward? And I think that for any venture capital firm or private equity firm that's been focused on the food space, they probably slowed down in 2022 and 2023 on purpose to let a correction happen. But in in our world where you're, uh, uh, we have a, a, a traditional venture fund structure, we have a five year investment period, which means we have to deploy our capital in five years. So if we slowed down for a year and a half to two years, then that means it's time to ramp things up. And I know a lot of other firms that did just that and you have to put your money to work. So I think we're going to continue to see dollars coming into the space. I like that. But what about picture. you? What do, what do you, what do you think? Well, you know, I, I'm obviously coming at it from just, I, I, I'm not an investor like you. I'm an advisor to start to, to some funds, some great funds. I am an editor. I'm a, I'm a, obviously a, like a trends kind of, you know, person here. And I've been surprised. I cannot believe how relentless the news has been in the space in a, in a good way. It's just 
every day. It's, it's just my inbox is full. There are so many announcements. I'm getting WhatsApps constantly. Uh, I mean, my my lead reporter today is taking over editorial duties while I'm gone and, and he has his work cut out for him. I mean, we've just, we've, we've got so much going on, uh, so many new companies, so many interesting changes. Um, there's been, you know, some funding that's been really great to see, but surprising. I, I have to call out Pura, the Spanish plant-based meat company's 40 million round, uh, 45 million actually uh, in US dollars. Very impressive and just not totally expected. Um, such a reminder that, you know, the mainstream media, especially the U.S. mainstream media, which tends to like set the tone on social media channels like LinkedIn is not to be, it's not to be fully believed or, 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 or relied upon, you know, there's just so much more going on. And, and it's, I, I've just felt a renewed sense of purpose and excitement at how many companies are out there creating, iterating, doing stuff, especially after it was a bit of a disheartening end of the year. I mean, on one hand, everything slows down at the end of the year and it always has. I've, I've been doing the news cycle for over a decade. December is always, things always die down so that, that there's part of that. But also, you know, the macro financial um, situation has changed. Um, I'm I'm interested to see how funds respond over the next couple of months, because earlier on in January, there was this feeling that the, the US Fed, Federal Reserve was gonna lower interest rates. And now I'm I'm seeing more of a feeling like they might stay where we are because inflation is still kind of hovering around, I think it is 3% or something. So does that affect how VCs are gonna deploy, right? Because it certainly has been, and and whether kind of, you know, LPs put money into VC and whether funds can raise bigger funds, um, certainly in terms of geographically, there's been not much action in terms of funds announced, new funds announced in Asia, and not much action around new funds announced in the U.S. I'm talking about climate and food here, but in Europe, the action has been nonstop. I mean, every week there's like one or two big funds, like a couple hundred million, 300 million euro funds being announced for climate tech. Um, and it's just the other thing I'm interested to see is as a lot of people pulled away from food, there still is a growing awareness around food being part of the climate story and, and, and addressing food being key to addressing climate. So does that mean we're just going to see a lot more food investing from general climate VCs um, as just dedicated food funds kind of change their tactics? I've certainly had a lot of funds come to me um, that are that were originally just focused on all protein and have expanded to look at like other ingredients and other things in the ag system, not just protein. So I'm interested to see if that trend continues um, and, you know, and it goes more from just being all protein to future food, right? And um, the other thing that's been interesting for me, I think, is all the precision fermentation news. There's just been a lot of activity in that space. And I thought that the space was going to see a little bit more of a slowdown because of, you know, things with Perfect Day and, and there just hadn't been that many big wins um, in a while. Um, but it's, uh, it seems like a lot of the smaller companies are kind of, 
you know, taking the baton and, and going forward with it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, I, I like, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said, a lot of different topics. I think I agree for like, with the majority of what you're saying. And, and like, a, a lot of like the, the interesting points that I, like, I, I was thinking about when you were saying like the idea of like funds, kind of, is it, is it climate funds? now going to be focused on on food in some capacity or there will there still be dedicated funds in food or will it be all protein focused or expand everything that you're saying about like what you think might happen like i've been seeing that honestly on the investment side like i'm seeing generalist climate funds now dabbling more in our space and taking more leading roles because they've been able to raise pretty large funds uh because they have a broader focus and then on the the food side i've been seeing all protein funds that said we're not just all protein anymore we're all protein and and other but within the food space and i think that that's a good thing though because uh we talked about this in the past but this idea of like everything being in a silo within all protein or sustainable food like that's that's a that's a failing a failing approach in my mind i think like the invest in food and invest in sustainable food that that doesn't alienate everything else that's happening in, in climate. And I think everyone's waking up to that. And now we're seeing everyone kind of take a little bit more of like a, a thoughtful approach of how to intertwine food and energy and transportation and just overall climate. So, um, yeah, but I mean, over the next two months, I don't know what we'll see, but I do, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we keep seeing big funding rounds that like large series A's, large series B, the series B's. And I, I hope that's what we say. I know a couple of our companies are going to be kicking off fundraising rounds that I have a lot of uh, optimism for. So we will see for sure. I also, I, I'm anticipating that you will have a baby. That's a big prediction that I think will come true. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I, I don't mean... want to put, put all my eggs in one basket, but I feel like that's <laughs> a pretty good one. I mean, I I'll take that bet. <laughs> <laughs> No. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, God, I hope to God that everything goes well, but, but yeah, there should be a little baby human coming out of me and, and folks, I am ready for it to happen. It is not the final stages of pregnancy are somewhat of an assault on your, on your physical self. So, um, yeah, ready, ready for that. <laughs> I cannot imagine. It just seems it still never makes sense to me. We talked about this. We joked about this. It, the fact that everyone's just so okay with the idea that there's a person growing inside of another person. It's just, it's just crazy. It's wild. I don't know how you have the energy to do this podcast with me every week and then keep running Green Queen and the million other things that you're running. So uh, I, hope, I, I, yeah. I, I could <laughs> say the same about you. You're a busy dad to two toddlers running a very busy VC fund and I, I, you do such amazing due diligence. So I know you work all the time. I'm sure. No, I appreciate that, but I have grown zero humans. Zero. <laughs> well, you know, women are obviously superheroes. I mean, we, we know hundred percent. Okay? men are always trying to hide <laughs> that fact, but, but I love the fact that you recognize it and I'm sure your wife and all your female family members will agree with me. Um, it's, it's not easy being a superhero, but you know, one must do what one, one must has to do. Um, I love this space and I just have so much passion for it. I, 
I, I just, I'm so excited every day to wake up and, 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 and move it forward in however way that I, that I participate in that. And I'm so happy that the, the 2024 has just started off with such a bang. And I know that, you know, it's going to be a few weeks of me thinking of other things and being in gosh, poop and diaper land. But I know that when I come back, it's, it's just going to be more excitement. And there's just, I mean, I don't, I hope I don't need to tell our listeners, but there is so much to do folks. We are so far away from having solved any of our problems. So we, we got to keep going here. Right. Definitely a hundred percent. And for, with that, with that next generation in mind, right. Got to give them a better world than, than what they, they, they came into. Absolutely. Um, and I just also, you know, we, we thanked the listeners last week and I want to thank everybody this week. Um, you know, Steve and I really started this, um, because we, we were having these chats anyway. Um, so we figured we would just do them for an audience and, it's been such an incredible experience doing this. Steve, it's been almost a year and I've just really enjoyed doing this with you. You're, you're such a great person to, to riff with. I love your insights. I love that, you know, we come, we come at a lot of stuff. I think we have a lot of similar values, but very different life, life and lived experiences. And it's just really, it's always fun. And you always make me think, I think you've helped make Green Queen better. Um, so thank you for that. And um, I really am excited for phase two when I come back and we're gonna, you know, I don't wanna, I don't wanna spoil any surprises listeners, but we've got some stuff planned for like phase two that's gonna be exciting. So stay tuned, but thanks to everyone who's followed us on the journey. Thanks to everyone who writes to Steve to tell them, to talk to him about the podcast. That's because Steve is so much better than me at sharing because I'm just absolutely useless. But um, keep following Steve on LinkedIn. He has some amazing insights every week that he's that he shares, and you know, keep sending us your feedback. We love to hear it. And um, I've I've had so many people say to me that they feel like they really have gotten to know us through this podcast, um, and that's that's really wonderful, especially because I consider myself a fairly private person for someone in media. So it's nice to to feel that we're communicating that. But thanks. Basically, I'm I'm full of gratitude. All right, Steve, last words from you, and then and then we're gonna sign off. I thank you for all those kind words, and thank you, listeners. And let's go have a baby. <laughs> all right, <laughs> and with that, we will see you in a few weeks, folks. <laughs>